Welcome, guys, to Self-Evident Podcast. This is number 27. I am not going to do the self-evident dance because Massey is not here, and I just I, I want to make sure to wait for him to do it. But today we have a returning guest, one of my favorite people to talk to. We have Mr. Paul Garner. Paul, how are you doing today? Doing great, Mike. How are great. you? Great. I'm doing well. Thank you. And we, we had had a conversation, um, and... Before, you had texted Massey and said, hey, I'd love to sit down with you guys and have this this three-person discussion. Right. Well, Massey's out at the Missouri Homeschool Convention. They're actually on their way back as we record this. So I wanted to save that for when Massey was here. But I thought, Paul, you would be the perfect guy to talk to. Um, what I'd like to get into on, on this topic is the European Union. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I thought you would be the perfect guy to talk to about this because you're somebody who's very well versed in international topics. Last time we talked about America on the international mm. stage, you know, and so I thought you would be a great person to get into Articles 11 and 13, Brexit, and the the overall view that the European using Union has the strategy um, and what that means for America. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to start it off in just asking you if you could give a little description in your research of what Articles 11 and 13 are about. Um, 11 is the link, and then 13 is the copyright. I think it's reversed. Is it? Uh, no, Either, no, I apologize. Nope, you're absolutely right. Okay. I read them in order of 13 and then 11. Okay. Yeah. So no, right. if, I, I know we talked about 13 more before we started recording. Okay. So if you want to do 13 and then, you know, I can pick up a little bit on 11. Well, 11 is faster in the sense that it's a, yeah. it's a quicker hit. Um, the idea being that the EU wants <coughs> platforms like Google and Facebook to have to pay a fee to or they they're actually calling it a tax it sounds more like a fee but it's it's really <laughs> they're calling it a tax where have we heard that language I before know. <laughs> is it a fee or is it a tax, Fine tax. What i is know it? um so uh, if in in a google browser in a search engine if you were to search on uh, a news topic for example and if any of uh, outside sources like the new york times showed up on their uh, search engine feed they would have to pay a fee or a tax um, to allow that link, allow users to click that link and go in and view that that piece of information from that site. Currently, they don't have to pay anything. Um, In the New York Times or Wall Street Journal, any any newspaper that's got a paywall uh, associated with it, uh, they do get their revenue. Uh, they New York Times, I think, maybe allows you three articles a month that you can read for free. Yeah, if I think you so. want more than that, you got to pay. Um, I'm a subscriber to Wall Street Journal, so um, I get to read their articles for free. But if you are not a subscriber, you have to pay them. Yeah. What the EU wants to do is to force Google or Facebook or anybody who has a search engine or produces any news aggregation process have them have to pay a fee or a tax um, to provide that. Which, and there was discussion that that was going to affect pretty much anybody who does commentary, news blogging, or small-time journalism as Mm -hmm. well, because if if you're a commentator and you link to a news article or you quote that news article, you're within the purview of that law then. That's correct. You know, and and this, this discussion has a theme of how does this affect the small guys, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's the small journalists or it's the YouTube commentators or the YouTube movie review guys, or sure. you know, there's yeah. there's a large group of people that this can, this could really affect. So we have the Article Eleven, which is the link tax, as right. it's known, um, and then there's Article Thirteen. Article Thirteen is a is an uh, a regulation dealing with copyright in Europe. Uh, Europe is about 20 years behind the U.S. in terms of trying to deal with original content, perhaps like a a movie produced by somebody or a song or some kind of piece of literature from a book or something like that, that one of us making a post on a social media site, we might use their material. I might quote a song, uh, you know, the text of that or something like that, or link to somebody's song. Or to a movie, uh, a clip, a new something like that, and the EU regulation wants to force the platform like a Google or 
Facebook to pay for the right to allow that content on their site or to implement some kind of methodology that prevents you and I from posting anything that was originated from somebody else. Yeah. So it's uh, they never want to go after the little guy because they know it'll be too much difficult too difficult to go after the little guy who actually did the post themselves but they're actually going after the huge sites like Google and Facebook because they're easy to find and they've got deep pockets. Exactly. And that's there's this struggle going on um, in this this whole idea of the big guys, the little guys who's getting the better deal who's not getting the better deal and especially in america we watch it a lot and Mm. i do find it um interesting when it tends to go into two camps you're either against big government or you're against big corporations right that's right and that often defines the division between liberal and conservative exactly you Mm -hmm. know conservatives they're against big government that's right liberals against big corporations right the funny part is both of them tend to be on the same side in a lot of areas sure and the little guy is the one getting screwed. Oh, yeah. You know. I mean, that's what they, the corporate um, uh, corruption that takes place when, when business uh, colludes with government yeah. and government makes regulations that favor certain businesses. You, when you were researching this, did you, did you get a sense that big corporations were in the discussion on this and and really had a seat at the table or do you feel that it was more of a a jab at the big corporations because you do have facebook twitter youtube that are all it's basically being said they're going to be on the hook Mm. if copyrighted material is found on their platform which we'll get into the idea between a platform and a publisher later right. but yeah, they're part of the discussion but they're similar to how it is in our own congress where congress will invite uh, the leaders of large businesses who are going to be affected by regulation yeah. to come and testify and to be uh, questioned by our congress same thing in the EU government in Brussels, uh, where they would have some leaders, some representatives of those companies come in and, and testify about their companies. But the problem is that, that almost all the big companies have been fined significantly by yeah. the European Union government because of various privacy violations. Unlike in the United States, where these companies get away with these breaches, uh, in in the EU, they find them significantly, so they lack a certain credibility when it comes to testifying before their government. Yeah, and it's it's <laughs> you have to kind of laugh because you know you you have Facebook who you get Zuckerberg before congressional hearings and. Zuckerberg looks like a fish out of water. Yeah, you have congressmen who have no idea what Facebook even really That's is right. or what yeah. it does, and right. you've got. Right. But now they have to <laughs> act like they know something. Yes, exactly. Really <laughs> yeah. and there were a couple that that kind of embarrassed themselves with oh, their yeah. lines of questioning Absolutely. on it. You know, it, the w- one of the reasons that I wanted to talk about this was w- the YouTube creators that I tend to watch mm-hmm. are very concerned about this and, yeah. and have a lot of criticisms, especially Article 13, mm-hmm. um, and to a lesser extent, Article 11, because a lot of them do news commentary. Yeah. And so it kind of sets them up of, okay, w- where do I sit on this? Uh, there And there's the argument of it does away with fair use. Right. And if you do away with fair use, no longer are you allowed to have some reasonable um, piece of art that somebody else owns Mm -hmm. in order to do, say, a review or a critique or to liven something up or, Mm -hmm. you know, even to mock, such as in memes or characterizations so uh, yeah, what I think did you, should you probably uh, for your audience explain f- what the fair use principle is I was going to ask you to do that well okay <laughs> fine uh, in the US going back uh, several decades we've had this uh, this principle of fair use of copyrighted material no. and it's the idea that say you're writing a paper for your PhD your thesis or something like that you can use portions of other people's work 
as part of your work as long as you give proper attribution, like mm-hmm. footnotes and bibliography, that kind of thing. Yep. Same thing is true when it comes to music and movies where small clips can be used, not entirely, and generally for the purpose uh, not to make money. That's one of the key factors. If you're going to reproduce some and use somebody else's work and you're going to make money, you need to pay them. Yeah. Um, but if this is for a research paper, for... Um, generally for a speech or something of that sort that is persuasive, clips or portions of original material from other people are fair use. You yep. can use them, and they don't have the grounds to uh, sue you. And there's a, a, a caveat in there of does it change the character of the piece. Right. So um, there's battles going on right now between some YouTube content creators and um the owners of say like comedy specials Mm. and what the content creator or the YouTube creators are doing is doing a critique, a review of the piece Mm -hmm. and they're getting strikes because the content creator is, is coming after them. And so there's this, this battleground of fair use of, okay, what's, what's fair use? What isn't, you know? Right. Right. And again, it's that portion thing. It's a clip, if it's a piece, if it's designed to make a point, uh, like a review, yep. um, original co- content creators should be grateful that somebody's reviewing their work absolutely, uh, and showing it to other people. I think that's a great idea, and I think they'd be short-sighted not to allow that to yep. happen. And, and I agree because there's, there's a value <coughs> in no matter what your material is getting out there. It's, mm-hmm. it, and even if it's getting bad reviews, there'll be a lot of people who watch it, listen to it, mm-hmm. read it purely because of why does everybody think this is so bad? Now, right. <laughs> you right. can argue, uh, well, I don't like people giving bad reviews, but hey, you've put your stuff out on the market. Mm-hmm. It's up for review. Right. And and there are people who make a living at reviewing sure. different material. Um, and getting deeper into the Article 13... And, and going a little bit below the surface. So the it was stated that this this was really helped along by especially the music industry. Yeah. Um, major music publishers were upset that their material was getting used for free right. on platforms like YouTube and Facebook. Mm-hmm. And so this this really pushed the idea of everything needs to be... Um, uh, put through the filter mm-hmm. and it's the platform that's responsible for it. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, the platforms are, have enough money and a lot of, and have enough technological awareness that they could actually implement uh, non-human based filtering mechanisms uh, using AI or various other kinds of recognitions. Uh, SoundHound is an example of, uh, of a, a piece of software in real time that can detect a song uh, that you could just be hearing in a store somewhere. Yeah. So the technology exists that they can do this filtering. Uh, do, you, so. do you think it, it's accurate enough to start basing lawsuits and, and legal actions on? I, I've had great experience with it, but I can't say that I'm enough of an auditor to know for sure that it's accurate enough for that. Yeah. But And... I can say that I've used an awful lot of uh, of AI based technology for transcription, where mm-hmm. I've uh, had an audio piece and I wanted to have that transcribed to printed text, and I find that the results are eighty to ninety percent accurate, depending on maybe voice quality, audio quality, somebody's accent, for example. Yeah. I've done this for Pastor Todd. I've done it for various other speakers in the men's fellowship here. And it's very accurate. Hmm. So, And that's because I've, I've seen, well, let me put it this way. <laughs> the caption, uh, caption, program on YouTube mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> has some struggles at points. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know? It, it, certainly. <laughs> it's um, evolving. It, it is. And there's discussion that these platforms are not going to want to throw all this money into this 
copyright mm-hmm. filter. You know, the the number gets thrown around that four hundred hours of videos are uploaded to YouTube every minute. Mm-hmm. And so you've got billions and billions and billions of hours that now YouTube has to go through and make sure that all copyrighted material is flagged or, you know. And they have to do that in real time because uh, if somebody's uploading a video right now, um, it's only going to take a few seconds for somebody else to figure out that that's not original material. And if it slips through, Mm -hmm. then they're on the hook for it. Liability, that kind of stuff. For a lot of money. One of the arguments on the EU case is that it promotes censorship uh, by these private companies. So what happens when they get it wrong? Uh, Effectively, we're we're asking these companies, these platforms, to be the de facto censor of all content going up on their sites. And that's a dangerous precedent. That really does put them into the driver's seat of censorship, doesn't it? Because in America right now, we're, we're fighting that battle of should the platform be considered a platform, therefore no censorship, or should it be a publisher? therefore censorship and all the responsibilities that come along with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think that it's, whether a subconscious step or a conscious step towards more um, obvious movements of censorship against certain ideas, certain values? I think that there is, and I think that it's a dangerous precedent. The call that's been uh, against Facebook is an example of the... um, the fake stories that came out during the 2016 election, I think it's a dangerous precedent to ev- to encourage or even force companies like Facebook to filter out stories that they think might be fake. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, only a week ago, well, the f- very first time in 10 years, I was actually alerted by something on Facebook that violated their community standards. I saw you post something about that. What I My content was about happened? here in Florida where um, there's a bill in our state legislature that's trying to give driver's licenses to illegal aliens. And I posted a comment about how um, that is just another end run by uh, Democrats to try to get more voters because in California, they turned their driver's license registration process into a a voter registration process. They call it motor voter. And so (laughs) that that was a step. You start by allowing legal aliens to get driver's licenses, and then it's a no-brainer to take them to the next step of registering them to vote uh, at the same time at the uh, DMV. So I posted some scathing comments about that, and some of the words I used about Democrats were not polite. So Facebook... The word was, um, from all of the friends uh, that I heard it from, is that somebody reported me. Uh, Somebody, some just general user of Facebook reported me, and then Facebook examined the question and said, yeah, this violates our community standards. I appealed it, but they still came back with the same comment. Your and your so your comments were scrubbed because they my, yeah my post was scrubbed that day but oh, I reposted it about three days later and it and gotten no complaints since yeah so. interesting and uh, YouTube you know I'm I'm much more familiar with YouTube I'm much mm-hmm. more active with YouTube and YouTube has had a real problem with people using the strike system mm-hmm. to their own advantage they don't mm-hmm. like something somebody says so they just start nailing them with. Copyright mm-hmm. strikes and and guideline strikes and and, and, and hate and hate content. Hate, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They, and there's there's a whole discussion to be had about if you're going to be a platform. And I understand every platform wants to have some type of standard of what they'll allow and what mm-hmm. they won't. You mm-hmm. know, you get the extreme examples. You don't mm-hmm. want terrorists beheading people. Right. On a video, sure. On or, your or the shooter in Australia, or the shooter in Australia. So you want to set these standards, but then you get the other reaction of, okay, well, we're going to create these standards so stiff and and so tight mm-hmm. that we're now throwing everything into the bucket that right. really doesn't belong there, especially when you have real human beings making the decisions, mm-hmm. because then it becomes a bias standard absolutely point of view you know mm-hmm. if and and there was actual um action of this through facebook especially where there was a hit list that mm-hmm. they had absolutely that they they were watching for certain people sure. certain phrases and if any of those came up 
you're hit. That's you right. Know. That's right. And then you've got organizations like the Southern, Southern Poverty Law oh, Center uh, who, that labels lots of groups hate groups. They call the uh, um, Focus on the Family a yep. hate group. Yep. Um, so, and then Facebook and then starts they're on the using board. They're on the board. Yeah. So they get to have a, a voice in screening out uh, things they consider to be hate. Yeah. From their standpoint, anything related to the marriage of a man and a woman is hate speech. So, and, and this will get back into the European Union, but I want to mm-hmm. look at America for a second. Mm-hmm. There's the argument of, okay, well, w- we should create our own competing platforms mm-hmm. as conservatives, libertarians. Sure. You know. um, what's your sense of that? Because is is this a market where there's enough still freedom to actually do that in a meaningful way? Or Mm -hmm. is this get into a system of, okay, do there need to be government regulations on Mm -hmm. these platforms of what, what they're kicking out and what they're not? Sure. What's your thoughts? Lots of people don't know that there are at least a dozen, maybe two dozen competitors to Facebook out there. And I've tried at least 10 of them. Um, And, they, they have a bunch of different ways of operating, but they're all very, very slick, very cool, very great functionality. Remember, Facebook is more than 10 years old, yeah. 15, 15 years maybe? Not sure. It started when I, I was a senior in high school or a freshman in college, so 2004, 2005, okay. right around that area. So we're talking about 15 years. Yeah. Um, and I've been on there 10 years. But... Each time I have tried to, uh, I, that I've gone ahead and set up accounts at these other sites, the number one ingredient you need to make those sites successful has to do with being able to bring your friends with you. Yeah. And my friends wouldn't come. The, um, the fundamental problem with all, with all of these sites and, and how we're consolidating all of our information with just a few of these sites is that the average user hates change. Um, it took me a long time to get a lot of my friends onto Facebook at all way yeah. back 10 years ago. But um, once they're on there, they're not going to change. The Facebook and, and Google both have the advantage of first in the market. When you're first in the market, you get people to adopt your product and people stay with the product because changing creates friction in their life. Yeah. And if they can't bring their friends with them, they're not going to change. And that's different from, say, the competition between coca-cola and rc cola oh right because right. you don't need your friends in order to drink rc cola That's right but you need your friends in order to populate a alternative to facebook right um so you you really do come down to a social acceptance That's now right. that doesn't mean that government should get involved no it doesn't Purely because social acceptance has congregated into one product. That's right. Unless you believe the government should be a nanny for individuals to keep them from making bad choices. I don't believe that. I don't believe that the government has any role like that. Everybody should caveat emptor. Every person should be responsible for their own choices and their own behavior and the consequences that result from that. So if people consolidate all of their stuff into a single social media outlet... Um, the government has no place getting in the way of that. What happens, though, when a person is, for the most part, scrubbed from the um, online community or society? So you, you, we watched the coordinated attack of somebody like Alex Jones, mm. who within 12, what was it, 12, 14 hours, he had been scrubbed from all the major platforms. Sure. Yep. Um, so you do have this strength of power between a very small group of corporations Mm -hmm. is as a libertarian does that concern you does that you know or or is it fall back but again it falls back to the people Uh, a more recent example the from uh, alex jones was the the uh, current movie that's out called unplanned i heard about all this that whole um uh it's a pro-life movie uh, created in hollywood but no place no outlets would allow advertising uh, for this movie and yet it opened last weekend number two at the box office and it beat captain marvel for the number of um movie theaters where it was showing. So it really moved to the top in a lot of ways without any advertising. But here's what happened is that a lot of people like myself heard about this from a a website that's on Facebook. Uh, Mm. So they said, okay, there's no advertising. These people can't get it. So what we need to do is to make it go viral. And so as individuals, we had an opportunity to act in the place of the advertising. 
really advertising really is just like word of mouth, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so social media provides the platform, even though they might ban the movie and the producers themselves, social media provides an avenue where the participants in the social media can still spread the word. So because the platform itself has a lot of control over even what goes viral or doesn't go viral. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's and I'm playing devil's advocate to an extent sure. here because I find this topic very fascinating. I find this, it's very, very nuanced and mm-hmm. there's real no easy answer on it for me because you've, in order for the thing to go viral or in order for the thing to have exposure, it needs to have those platforms in order to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you could argue about the level of, of what you could do without a Twitter and a Facebook and a YouTube. Uh, sure. um, but when you have platforms, which this gets into what we were talking about before, platform versus publisher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A platform is merely supposed to be the soapbox upon which people can stand. That's right. It's, it's not supposed to have an effect on the message. A right. publisher is supposed to have an effect on the message that it puts out, and it takes responsibility for that message. These platforms, as as they call themselves, seem to be trying to play both sides. That's right. And that's the part that that gets dirty for me is, okay, if you're going to consider yourself a publisher, then I think there is value in, in some type of government reminder because government what is government supposed to be government is supposed to be an arbiter of justice so in the courtroom in the courtroom but that justice is based on our set of laws and rules that mm-hmm. that we've determined under the social contract right to be fair mm-hmm. that's now putting aside discrimination well maybe i shouldn't put aside discrimination lawsuits cuz this this gets into it I am of the opinion that I I don't agree with a business being punished by the government because they won't serve a minority. Right. Okay. I'm I with believe you on that. I believe yeah. the market should That's should right. punish Absolutely. that right. business. Right. Where I I start to chafe on that idea is if a telephone company who owns 70% of the share of the telephone industry, mm-hmm. A, should they, you know, this very, very, very wary of uh, antitrust laws. Sure. Um, but if they own 70% of the share and they've decided, well, we are going to refuse to serve a certain group of people or mm-hmm. we're anybody who supports mm-hmm. Trump, we are mm-hmm. not going to... Do you feel that's into a dangerous area where the government, you know, could have some value in setting regulation? You still feel a free market. Uh, well, it, the, you have to go back to how did a telephone company get seventy percent or eighty percent of the market? There is no way that could happen without some kind of government collusion, uh, some kind of government favoritism. Um, one of the things that we have in our country that has been used regularly is antitrust um, laws to try to break up companies yeah. that, who have achieved those levels. IBM, AT&T, uh, Standard Oil. And, uh, and you know. resisted the mergers that, that would yeah, that create would these super create monopolies. that kind of situation. We're in a situation now with the uh, social media sites that w- that we didn't really have anybody else around. They've sort of accumulated and built themselves up. Social media companies are really brand new on the horizon. Yeah. We've never had a chance to look at them before, and where should we be with those? Some people have suggested uh, that Facebook should not be allowed to acquire any more companies. Mm, on the antitrust level, that probably is not a bad thing. Uh, same thing with Google. Although with Google, I think it's too late. I, they I, already own everything. They've slipped through the cracks. That's and, right. And they were at the right place at the right time for them in terms of building their model. Yeah. But they grew through acquisition. Um, they've done some innovation, but not as much as Apple. Um, but yeah, the level of government involvement in here, it's a really sticky situation because... If we believe that it's the marketplace, the free marketplace of ideas and economics, 
then people, customers, should decide who would they want to use and how they want to use them, and the government should not get involved in that. Now, that means that some people are going to be harmed, but they're harmed because of their own choices. Uh, the flaw in our form of government, worse in the EU than here, but also here, that somehow it's the government's job to save people from the consequences yeah. of their own poor choices. <laughs> and that is that elevates the government as a nanny as they somehow they are smarter than we are on how we ought to operate our lives. Well, I reject that notion entirely. No. Uh, there's abundant evidence that people who work for the government are not <laughs> smart enough to do the <laughs> job that they're called to do. So Absolutely true. Um, and I'd like to steer it back towards the European Union because, sure. you know, I'd like to get into Brexit a little mm. bit on that. Um, and, and that does segue well because it does go back to this idea of how much involvement should a government have in the processes. And, and you have 11 and 13, which seem to favor the abilities of the big corporations to get along with this, which isn't that the case the vast majority of times when new regulations are put into right. place. It's the big companies that can actually deal with it. Sure. And you've, you've got small companies, small content creators, small journalists, small, you know, whatever, who are going to have difficulties playing ball with this. Now, mm. the EU did put out some standards of, okay, as far as Article 13, you have to have, you know, I, I, I don't want to mess up the numbers, but it was something like you have to earn at least $5 million of revenue in a fiscal yeah. year and you have to have 10 million, I don't know, 10 million visitors a month or something. And yeah. They set set these, these standards or these yeah. guidelines, yet there's still medium-sized companies that are falling past those requirements sure. into the purview of Article right. 13. It, do, it doesn't take too much for a company to, to reach a $5 million level revenue. Yeah. Which then then you really fall into the struggle to compete with the biggest companies That's because right. if you just make five million one dollars, right? Well, you don't have the money to really develop these AI filters mm -hmm. and all that. Sure, but guess who you're going to have to buy it from? Your competitor. That's right, Google. And, but <laughs> you really have hit the nail on the head as far as uh, the, for the cost for all businesses. Every regulation that comes out of any government anywhere weighs heavily on the cost of operations for any business. And if you're a small business, um, big companies are going to want higher taxes and more regulations because that, that creates barriers to entry yeah. for small companies, for competitors. Yep. And so these Articles 11 and 13 are just two more examples of how government meddling in the marketplace eliminates competition and destroys wealth, destroys businesses, and enables big companies to become bigger. And we saw, or we, we watched destruction of, or the limitation of industries, especially in Britain. You know, mm -hmm. we, we have the whole bre Brexit thing, which, you know, you and I agree there was a different uh, foundation for which Brexit was built on, which mm -hmm. we'll get into in a second. But mm -hmm. you look at the fishing industry, you know, some of the most storied uh, fishing wholesalers and marketplaces dried completely up because mm -hmm. of all of these regulations and, yeah. and these these. Um, limits that the EU put on the British fishing industry. Right. And and it kind of went across the, the waves. The EU was only intended to be a loose trading agreement That's right. between these nations. Right. But to now allow the free flowing of capital and labor across exactly. um, borders for the sake of efficiency. Yep. And look how that grows. Mm -hmm. Suddenly then they have to have their own currency because, mm -hmm. you know, why change all these different currencies? Sure. Let's get our own currency. Mm -hmm. Well, at that point, we might as well have our own passport and our, our own visas. Mm -hmm. We might as well have our own easier, more efficient way to move labor. Sure. And, well, if we're a trading block, let's start really determining what's okay and what's not. Let's regulate these industries. Let's determine the contracts for all of these countries as one to other areas. Right. 
you see how it grows. Absolutely. Um, and it's not just businesses they're regulating. They're regulating whole countries. Yeah. Uh, remember when Greece was going through its its uh, currency crisis, they couldn't actually, they didn't have their own cri- their own currency anymore, the drachma. Yeah. They gave it up in favor of the euro. Well, when they were having their economic crisis, they could not manage any of their own currency. They didn't have any. Yeah. So they were subject to whatever Germany and France and Britain decided they wanted to do with the currency. And otherwise, they could have saved themselves through bad economic policy by printing more money, <laughs> but they couldn't print they could any more. Could have staved money. off the, that's the, right. the collapse that that's they right. had. Yeah. yeah, and that's my my brother and I were discussing that uh, a couple of weeks ago, and and one thing we were discussing is there's there's the levers of a fiat currency mm-hmm. that you, Japan's been been doing it for forty oh, yeah. years, yeah. and and I've had discussions with people who are staunch mm-hmm. against. QE and, and sure. you know mm-hmm. watering down your currency. And mm-hmm. I agree. However, Japan may not be a thriving economy that's four percent growth year over year, mm-hmm. but it's still they haven't collapsed. The There's still there's still a strong economy. They're right. still moving forward. Right. They're still doing what they need to do. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, however, every fiat currency in the history of the world has collapsed at one yep. point or another. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but to to get back towards Brexit, so you had this control that's still going on, and it's only getting mm-hmm. tighter about trade, about industry, about the Re- movement of labor, refugees, yeah. and then the refugee problem. Right. And so I want you to kind of open up for our listeners if they don't know about Brexit, and all they heard is, oh, Britain wants to leave the EU or something. Mm-hmm. What kind of sparks this whole the referendum and the vote mm-hmm. to leave and now the political chaos and just turmoil that sure is occurring now. occurring in <laughs> Britain <laughs> but sure. let's go back to the beginning sure. what what really started this um, the the vote actually the british people in in june of 2016 um, the same year president trump was elected um, voted in this referendum to leave the eu but the only won that uh, that election by 51.9%. Yeah. So that was practically 50-50. Uh, so the British people were not exactly cleanly divided on this. But the, the focal point of their issue was British sovereignty. They felt like the EU government was taking over more and more of their national decision-making uh, when it came to trade, when it came to refugees, when it came to uh, economics and currency. They did not want to be on the hook for uh, country, profligate com- countries like Greece. Yeah. Um, and yet, as a member of the EU, they had to be. Uh, fortunately for Britain, they kept their own currency. So they were running both um, uh, the pound and the, uh, the euro. Uh, so uh, that was a smart thing on their part. If they had yeah. adopted the euro and abandoned the pound, they would be paralyzed. They could not make this Brexit vote at all yeah. because they depended too heavily on the currency. So, uh, so it was really the, the British, some of the British decided, especially the middle class folks, that they were losing their sovereignty. There, a lot of industries in Europe were gaining, um, gaining jobs while they were losing jobs at home in, in Britain. Now, if the British people wanted to, they could freely travel to the mainland and go follow those jobs and take those jobs elsewhere, but they didn't want to. But they did see their own homegrown industries uh, going overseas because the labor was cheaper. Uh, So uh, it's this problem that lots of countries face, uh, finding labor costs. Nobody wants to pay higher prices, but everybody wants to get paid more. Uh, So that's a constant uh, dilemma for every, uh, every society. Uh, but then, uh, I mean, the people in in Britain voted, like I said, 51.9%. But even that is a simplistic number because the number was higher within England, yeah. but it was higher in reverse in Scotland. 60% of the people in Scotland, part of the UK, uh, voted against Brexit. Yep. And so... And then you've got uh, the Irish, the, uh, you've got uh, Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, mm-hmm. um, where they have different sentiments about where they want to be under, uh, under London's boot. Yeah. Uh, long-standing conflict in Northern Ireland, as we are all well aware. And correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Northern Ireland want to move with the EU 
and the Republic of Ireland won, was more on the Brexit campaign. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And that was largely because um, the Republic of Ireland is also very much more pro-British yeah. than Northern Ireland. But even within Northern Ireland, there's a split between the Unionists and the Loyalists, the Nationalists, yeah. um, where they don't have a unified country with a unified sense of identity either. So there's a lot of conflict there. So this vote of the of Brexit was more complicated, and this is the reason why even just today, Theresa May, the Prime Minister of Britain, um, lost another vote in for the Brexit plan that she yep. had come up with, and it was largely because the paralyzing point was what to do about Scotland, what to do about Ireland, because if Britain leaves, if England leaves the EU and their common market, that means that raises the question of what happens to Scotland and Ireland from a customs standpoint yeah. and a trade standpoint? Will there be a hard barrier between those countries and England? And uh, that's not a simple question to answer, and that has been the largest complicating factor as to why they, why the UK has not been able to come up with a final solution to get them out, and so yeah. they're just going to end up with this mess. And there was there was real talk of uh, a Scottish second vote, wasn't there? Yes. Um, did they ever, I, and I didn't look into it, did they ever carry it through, there's, do you know? There's or, actually or two votes that they had. Um, the Scottish originally wanted to stay with the EU because they felt like they would get a voice in their own sovereignty yeah. more than they get today as a member of the UK. But they do have their own representatives in Parliament. Um, but So there was a vote to stay in the uh in the EU, but there was also a separate vote for their own Scottish uh, separation from uh, the UK. Hmm. So yep. two different things. Um, the, and, the, and their country is split as well. There's lots of people yeah. who like the benefits that come with being under the UK's umbrella, but there's a lot of nationalists also in Scotland who want to have their own Scottish identity yeah. um, and sovereignty. I mean, that fight has been going on it's long centuries. before William yeah. Wallace, you yeah. know, um, Braveheart and all that. Yep. Yeah, so. it, it, it's a battle that often happens even within a single nation. I, we've, yeah. we've got the battle between those who believe we should be a part of the UN mm -hmm. and part of NATO and those who believe we should not have any sure. r deal with UN or NATO. Um, Wouldn't it know? be great if the states of the U.S. had somehow been... Um, had been th had thought further enough in the future to allow a, an escape clause, an exit clause <laughs> for individual states within the U.S. Yeah. So that from the 13 colonies that started right up to the number of states we had at the Civil War, we would not have fought a battle that cost the lives of a half a million Americans yeah. in the Civil War because it would have been a legal constitutional process for states to exit the Union. And there's a lot of a lot of good evidence that what Lincoln did was not constitutional right. in order to retain right. those states. That's right. And that's, I think a lot of people don't picture the U.S. properly. I think a lot of people picture it as a single united nation mm -hmm. compared to the One world. nation under God. One right. nation under God, right? right? When in actuality, it was supposed to be this loose connection of each state mm -hmm. to a united cause that's right that's different right right and so we get this view that the federal government is supposed to have purview over everything that's going on within the states and have control over everything going on within the states in actuality each state was supposed to be its own little experiment that's right you know a, a very city state idea you know that, that that's the right. greeks did very well for a long mm -hmm. time you know right. you Sparta was not Athens. That's right. They were completely different, right? right? Absolutely. And they did their own things, and they but there was still this this loose bond, loose connection mm -hmm. that you know ebbed and flowed, and you know, right, right. We forget that in America. We do, we know? do. And it's the lesson of America's history, the lesson of the EU's history, comes entirely down to this idea about sovereignty. Uh, no one should ever give up their sovereignty. Us as individuals, 
We should not give up our sovereignty. We could mutually cooperate mm-hmm. in, with shared uh, goals in terms of maybe security, agriculture, economy, those kinds of things. We could cooperate, but we should never uh, surrender our sovereignty such that we do not have a free and able way to opt out. Yeah. Um, and that's what happened in the United States, as you very well described. Um, the loose configuration, confederation we had of states at the beginning um, morphed into this behemoth uh, where, as Thomas Jefferson once said, um, when, when the people fear the government, there is tyranny. When the government fears the people, there is liberty. So Thomas Jefferson knew that this was always a risk we were going to have to endure. And it didn't even take 100 years (laughs) from 1789 when we became a nation to 1865, 1860 really, when the Civil War started, that uh, the states lost all of their sovereignty. And now the federal government is the most powerful agent in the world. And there was even before the final forming of the nation, there was an argument on whether or not they should just stick with the Articles of Confederation yes. or not. Yeah. And the which I agree with the argument against the Articles of Confederation because they just were not strong enough to bond the colonies together mm-hmm. in order to create independence for all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, y- y- you had to have something that, that glued them together. But boy, the other side of that argument, which I also agree with, is, well, the glue was too tight. <laughs> the glue yeah. was too strong. Sure. And and you run into all of these issues that we've got now. But, but the glue yeah. part is this is the subjective part that you never can really get everybody to agree on. Yeah. Um, I'm a supporter of the Articles of Confederation. I would have rather we had stuck with that uh, because it allowed much more independence and flexibility by the states. They could still cooperate as much as they chose chose to, but that could change from generation to generation. Um, We may have not been as united as we are today, but that might have been a good thing. My my struggle with that would be that would we have been able to push ourselves away from the dock of Britain? If if yeah. we relied purely on the Article of Confederation as our book. But we did it without yeah. any at all, without anything at all, no constitution at all uh, going yeah. into 1776. Yeah, um, that's a good point. I just wonder in the aftermath of it, you know, because there was, there was obviously still a lot of... of struggle and, and confusion about what direction each colony wanted to go and what they were going to do. And, and, you know, you you had this harbinger of we're all going to fail unless we all really get in the same line and start doing what we need to do. Sure, you know? sure. And, of course, uh, Hamilton with his uh, pushing of the National Bank where uh, <laughs> each state, uh, where all the states would consolidate all of their debts and so that all, all states would would pay the debt equally. Yeah. Um, rich states like Virginia, they didn't want to do that. Nope. But other poorer states, they were all in favor of that. So, yep. But it turned out to be a forceful in situation, and it was the original socialism, right? Yeah. Collect everybody's debts together, and everybody pays the everybody debts together. Everybody pays even. Yeah. yeah, socialism Yeah, from day one. And I've, I've watched the European Union with interest because of my passion for American history, Mm -hmm. because now the European Union really sees the American system as kind of its, its guide. It's, it's light Mm -hmm. because it sees how the federal government morphed itself Mm -hmm. into this overarching single unified body. Right. And the European Union has made those steps of morphing more and more into this single unified body. I mean, Mm -hmm. Juncker, Claude Juncker, um, is now talking about a European Union army. Mm. Yeah. That's 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 not a NATO army. Right. A NATO army is every country coming to the table evenly in an in an independent way in some way mm-hmm. and and coming together of an alliance almost. European sure. Union army is a single bodied army. Sure. And you've got in his discussions and in his quotes, you see him talking more and more about we want to compete with China and the U.S. as a single entity. And really mm-hmm. talking about sovereign, mm-hmm. this whole idea of sovereignty mm-hmm. needs to go away. 
these nations yeah. are should not be thinking about sovereignty, and that's yeah. why they're so frustrated with Brexit, sure, Frexit, Italia yeah. exit. Well, yeah. You know, right. like all a lot of the Eastern European countries are are, are almost going the same way and driving them up a wall because yeah. they won't just get in line. That's right. You know? That's right. Um, so watching that and watching where the European Union is going. I'm going to take a bit of a left curve on you, but I wanted to ask you this because I think you'll give a really good answer. Why? People often point at Christians and say, would you just get out of politics? Mm. Would you just stop talking about this stuff? Either talk about God and the gospel or talk about politics. They don't mm-hmm. mix. Mm-hmm. Why should Christians care about what's going on in the European Union or what's going on in their own federal government? Sure. You know, what would, what value does that have if we're waiting for Christ to return? Uh, to me, America has been given a great gift by God uh, in our founding, an opportunity to live free. I mean, God is the author of freedom. He, from the garden, from the very first time, from the creation, God put that tree in the garden so that individuals would have an opportunity to say no to God. If there's no opportunity to say no, there is no freedom. And if there's no freedom, there's no love. You cannot love unless you have the freedom not to love. Okay? So from my standpoint, we as Christians in America particularly uh, should start with the idea that we have been given a gift that we should steward. And that stewardship means we love people by freeing them from oppression of power over their lives. We do not love people by continuing to act as their parent <laughs> until they're 80. That's a good you know, point. This, one of the problems that often happens with, uh, with parents is that when their kids get to a point where they're of age to be able to make some of their own decisions, parents continue to try to make the decisions for them and try to use their power over their children to limit their options, to keep them safe. But safe is not the most important thing. Liberty is the greatest thing that God ever gave us because if we, couldn't, if we didn't have liberty, we couldn't say yes to him. We couldn't love him. And so from my standpoint, Christians need to embrace liberty as a gift from God. And then as parents, uh, parents need to let go and allow their children to, to choose for themselves how they should live and not support government force to uh, act as a nanny to protect them, to limit their choices, to, uh, to tell them when they can do things and when they can't, to, uh, to allow people to live in their homes, but they don't really own them yeah. uh, because they can be taxed. So from my standpoint, from a Christian standpoint, liberty is love, and it is a gift from God. And if I have the freedom to choose, say yes to God, then I should have the freedom to have sovereignty over my life, um, even if that leads to self-destruction. See, that's the whole thing. God doesn't keep us from self-destructing. And if God doesn't do it, government has no place doing that either. Uh, That's true. So uh, that's sort of my view on that whole thing. And so why should Christians care about their own country, America? That's why I think. What we should think about other countries, we have been given by God the tools of prayer, persuasion, Holy Spirit power, um, and even service and self-sacrifice. Um, so those are the tools that God has given us as Christians. And so if we feel that we would like to express love to the people of Europe, then we should go there or even just spend time in our closet praying for them for their liberty, yeah. for them to be, for God to reveal himself as the one who truly loves us all and who wants us to be free. He doesn't want us to be oppressed by government. Uh, he wants us to be free of it all. Yeah. Um, and we'll have this conversation at some point in the future about uh, the, the broader, deeper meaning of things. But um, God warned us against government in uh, 1 Samuel 8 when God listed all of the many things that were going to happen to the people of Israel because they chose to have a king, an earthly king, instead of him as their king. Mm-hmm. Um, and that list is long and it is oppressive. Um, so we should love our neighbor as ourselves, and that means helping them to be free. And Waiting patiently even when they make bad choices, yeah. being there to love them and care for them, show them the way, but leaving the choice of taking the right way to the individual. Yeah. That's love. Yeah. And when you look at the image of the Jews in Egypt 
it was a very oppressive mm. situation for them. They were they were slaves. They were right. slave labor. And God moves them out into the wilderness. And he basically tells them, look, I need to get you out of Egypt so I can get Egypt out of you. Yeah. But they would start grumbling and looking back and, well, we had all this good food and we, we had all of this and you took us out in the desert to die. Mm-hmm. And God would point out, you were slaves. Yeah. You were slaves beholden to another ruler. You right. were oppressed. Right. And you look at, he moves them into the promised land. The system of government he sets up is a system of judges. Mm-hmm. There's no king. That's there's right. no monarchy. There's no president, Congress, all of that. There's no police, no, no army. Police. Yeah. Judges. Judges. Why? Because they're the ones to rule justly. Right. But even they were only responsible for civil uh, decision making. Precisely. Not criminal. Precisely. And, and so you had this very loose confederation mm-hmm. of the tribes right. and mm-hmm. everybody got their own plot of land and you do what you need to do with your plot of land and you'll I'll set aside the priestly class for yeah. my relationship with mm-hmm. you as a nation and I'll have the judges over you mm-hmm. so that you have some type of person that's kind of you know taking care of the business that needs to get taken care of it was nothing more than that yeah. and like you mentioned then they said, well, we want a king like everybody else. Right. And human beings have a, na- I don't even want to say natural, a fleshly attraction to authority over us. Yes. Isn't we, that crazy? We crave it. Like It's bizarre. No, if you put five people out in the wilderness completely by themselves and they'll decide to build a hierarchy and build an That's authoritarian right. structure out of it. <laughs> look at it, look look at the typical jury. The first thing you do is uh, as you get on a jury, you elect a foreman. Yeah. Yeah. You are uh, absolutely right. Human beings are irrationally obsessed with authoritarianism. Mm-hmm. They're looking for a savior, they're looking for a king, they're looking for all kinds of things. But your comment about um, God rescuing the people from, from Egypt, and they said they wanted to go back yeah. because the comforts of slavery and oppression were so familiar to them that they preferred that to the unknowns of liberty. Yeah. If that isn't a statement of where we're at in America, I don't know what is. It is so true. And that's, that's why, you know, I'll get into this discussion with even other Christians who are, you know, well, we need to have more government intervention mm. in our lives. Mm-hmm. The, the whole welfare state, social sure. program stuff. Sure. And what I'm trying to point out to them is you don't understand that it's your, your desire, your lust for control over your life. Mm-hmm. That's driving this. Yeah. Now, there is a big part of them that they want to take care of others. But why do you need government to do that? Because no, you're, you're looking for somebody to do it for you. Sure, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but they um, they get frustrated and impatient with the process of prayer and persuasion, yeah. and Holy Spirit power, and Ooh, waiting. Good point. Um, so they get impatient. And what do you do when you get impatient? You use force. Yeah. And force is not love. I don't care all of this parental stuff that we hear, spare the rod, spoil the child, kind of thing about raising children. Well, I'm an adult, not a child. I don't need a nanny. I don't need a parent. And neither do you. None of us need that. We need God. No. We do not need a nanny government. And I don't need my neighbors deciding what I can do with my property. I don't need my neighbors telling me what I can and cannot do um, with my own body. No. Um, you know, think about it as individuals God has given us our bodies as individuals, the labor from our bodies, the earnings from our labor, and then the property we buy with our earnings. Those should be sovereign. Mm-hmm. We should own those things, and nobody should be able to tell them, tell us that we can't do what we want with our own property. Absolutely. Uh, so we're living in an age where people use that word used a few moments ago called social contract to say that because you're living here, you are now you are de facto agreeing with the state and what the state does to to operate, to take care of people, yeah. to provide an education and benefits and things like that. I reject that entirely. Yeah. Um, and it it always gets more oppressive. There's always more reason. Even the European Union is now talking about uh, speed limiters in cars where it'll GPS the speed limit on the road you're on and it will set your car to that speed limit. 
right. and black boxes within the cars to record everything going on mm-hmm. and, and to determine whether or not you were on your cell phone. I agree. Cell phones are a real problem for driving. Mm-hmm. But <coughs> let's figure something out <laughs> instead of a black box inside your car that's recording everything you're doing. And it's right. just this these steps of ultimate control over every area of your life and Mm -hmm. i've said it before and i'll say it again if you really want to protect people throw them all in five by five padded cells exactly then they'll be protected Mm -hmm. they will be safe right but they will not be free they will not have liberty and that's right that's where this ends i i assure Mm -hmm. you anarchy will only be a problem for a certain amount of time before people create hierarchies and authoritarianism over themselves then it's just tribal war and and those will come out of fear (laughs) Exactly. Um, you know, I think fear is the number one driver for people willing to give up liberty. And Ben Franklin said it best, right? Anybody who's willing to give up liberty to obtain temporary security will gain neither and deserve none. Absolutely. So one of the wiser man, men of our founders. Amazing guy. Yeah. So, so, Paul, I am so glad we could talk about all of this. We could get into the European Union, Brexit. We could get mm-hmm. in Articles 11 and 13 and the, the natural drive of human beings of yeah. <laughs> going yeah. towards authoritarianism. Um, That's right. So, guys... I want to thank Paul again so much, and I want to let you know, hey, we are on all the major platforms until they decide they don't want us on there anymore. So we are on Twitter. We're on YouTube. Please check us out. If you're listening on SoundCloud, if you're on YouTube right now, check us out on SoundCloud or iTunes. Uh, We do have Facebook present. We've got Instagram presence. Um, So please let us know thoughts, feedback, topics, anything. And guys, I hope you have a great night. Thank you so much. Love you guys.